0: Welcome to Good Business, a Launchpad podcast that goes behind the scenes of entrepreneurs who put people, planet, and profit at the forefront of their mission. Hi, my name's Chris Edwards, and I'm the founder of The Honeycombers, which is a digital media business in Asia, and more recently, the founder of Launchpad, a community of conscious entrepreneurs. I'm super excited to share that this episode was actually recorded live at what is a massive small business retail event in Singapore called the Boutique's Fair. We had a series of chats with founders who are currently scaling conscious and sustainable businesses in Asia. And we've got a lot of learnings to share with you. In this session, we discussed the power of pivoting with Lizzie Marlowe, who's the founder of BuyFable and Jen Hoscoat, who's the Managing Director of VinduTap. Both of these entrepreneurs know that as a business owner, you need to be able to respond to the market and adapt and change. But the real challenge is, how do you know when it's time to change and when do you stick to your guns? So let's get into it. So for those of you who don't know who I am, my name is Chris Edwards. And my first business is a a digital media business called Honeycombers, and we just celebrated 15 years in business this week, which is pretty cool. And we've had a lot of pivots along the way, and I I just think this topic is so valuable because pivoting is something we all need to do in our businesses, and it's quite scary. It's really hard to know when to pivot and when to hold your guns. So I'm super stoked to talk about this topic today and to have our panellists join us. So let me introduce our panelists. First, we have Lizzie Marlow, who is the founder of By Fable. Lizzie actually started as a creative director, and she really spent a lot of her time building brands and designing for others. So her first pivot was actually to move out of designing for others and started designing for herself. And By Fable actually started as a Christmas card business, and so her second pivot was actually into artwork and I'll I'll let Lizzie tell the story but she's obviously already done a couple of pivots so is an experienced pivoter and my next panelist is Jen Postcote who's the managing director of VinduTap and I also love your other business name which is Not Shit Fun Lines which is just the best name ever. And Jen was actually an account lead for a number of big multinational alcohol brands, including Kapari and Grey Goose. So obviously she's done a big pivot out of corporate and into her own business. And I'm, I will let you tell the story about your pivoting in your business. But I'm really stoked to thank you guys for coming today. So let's get into it. Maybe Lizzie will start with you. Maybe you can just share us about your pivot in your business from, maybe you can tell your whole story. Okay. Share with us.
1: We could be here a while. <laughs> so, hi, I'm Lizzie. I am, as Chris says, the creative director and founder of By Fable. So, I am actually originally a designer for luxury and lifestyle brands. And in 2020, everybody rebranded because there was nothing else to do. So, everyone was focusing inwards, which was great for myself and my business, but actually... I was completely burnt out because by the end of the year, I had created so many different things for different people, weren't necessarily the things that I was passionate about, wasn't the aesthetic I was passionate about. And I got to the end of the year and my bank balance was healthy, but actually I think my soul was pretty crushed. So I decided to create something for myself that I was really passionate about. So I put them up there and The Christmas cards sold, but what surprised me most was I sold out of all of my illustrations. And that was the first pivot because it wasn't something that I had intended to do. So I'd never intended to be kind of showcase my art in that way. It was all about the stationeries. So yeah, that was my first pivot.
0: And maybe you can share just in your business now that you're focusing mainly on the artworks.
1: Yeah, so actually, I kind of continued with the stationery because it was something I was really passionate about. So I wanted to get, I guess you have to sometimes in business, especially if you're a single entrepreneur, is to actually kind of scratch that itch. You have to kind of figure out you know, get it out of your system. So I did that, and it was really popular, but again, the artwork just kept on selling. Every time I produced a new print, it would sell out. So I kind of listened to that, and actually now I'm leaning into the artwork side of things. So now, my second pivot, I guess, is that I'm restructuring my whole business so that it's all centered around the artwork. So every single product that I have now has the artwork on it i'm creating homewares that have the beautiful ink brushstroke on it i'm creating candles that are all hand painted you know everything has that kind of hand finished the illustration element and actually that's what people want and that's what i'm really enjoying it's not what i set out to do but it's actually something that people are loving and you know actually it's it's a wonderful thing so that was my second pivot <laughs>
0: Yeah, thank you. And Jen, I feel like we've gotten to know each other through Launchpad because Jen is always the supplier of our wines at our events. And funnily enough, I might spend a bit of time at the bar. But Jen, I'd love you to share your journey. And also, I'd really love you to talk about the packaging opportunities that you're looking at as well.
2: Yeah, sure. So Jen Hoskodi, founder and MD of Vindu Tap. So, yeah, my background is marketing and advertising for some larger alcohol brands. And when my husband and I moved to Singapore, I knew I wanted to work for myself, work in wine, but wasn't quite sure how to do that. And I was looking at different markets, you know, what's happening in Australia, what's happening in the U.S. and Europe, and saw that Wine on Tap is kind of this new movement that's happening in the drink space and F&B in general. And thought, you know, why not do that in Singapore? It's so strapped for space. It's so much more sustainable. It's less bottles, all of that. So created Vindu Tap and took one last corporate job just to save up some more money and got some suppliers on board, bought all the equipment, I had some customers that were willing to do a trial with me. And then 2020 happened. <laughs> and I thought, okay, maybe maybe not the best time to do this. Obviously, the world shut down. So I had a baby instead took up a bit of time. And then, yeah, it was a fun choice. Yeah, good, good. Yeah, pivot number one. And then, yeah, in 2021, uh, it was like, you know, I got to do something. I need to do something. But the market was obviously not ready for, for wine on tap at all. So I said, all right, let me just do bottles for now. That will at least get me into accounts, start relationships. So when the market does kind of rebound, then it's easier for me to have those conversations. And, I don't know, Not Shit Fun Wines, I was kind of just bored with all the other names out there and wanted something a bit irreverent, something I could have fun with, and something that targeted a younger audience. Like, boomers are very well taken care of in the drink space, especially in wine, but nobody's really looking at that younger demographic and getting them into the category. So yeah, Not Shit Fun Wines, NSFW, it's a play on, not suitable for work, allows me to be a bit cheeky, Yeah, so it's been a B2B business up until now, like only selling to bars, restaurants, being the supplier for Launchpad. But now we're at a point, uh, because the market is shifting and changing, where I want Not not Shit Fun Wines to actually be more of a B2C business and draw people in that way. And Vindu Tap will kind of go back to its original plan of import and distribution, and we're going to start doing a lot more kegs and alternative packaging.
0: Um, Yeah, so and Jen, when you talk about you want Not Cheap farm Minds to address the younger generation, like that's a classic pivot there that you want to move the business to a new audience. What's given you that indication or what's given you that idea or that drive to pivot?
2: I don't see many other companies right now, especially in wine, looking after that audience or trying to get them into the category they're drinking hard seltzers, really cheap beer. So we got to get an entry point for them, and I I do think that's where the packaging comes in. We know that Gen Z and millennials care a lot more about the environment. They're thinking about the future. They're thinking about their children. So yeah, that's kind of where it, where it all came from. And I, you know, it's it's a small industry. We all talk. There are other suppliers that are like, we cannot. No matter what we do, we cannot get younger drinkers. So it's. It's an opportunity.
0: And maybe you can share with the audience what's unique about the packaging.
2: Yeah. um, So we have a few different options for packaging. So today for boutiques is Gonzo Vino. So they're from South Australia. They only package in alternative packaging. So they do aluminum cans, 3-liter bag and box, and then 30-liter kegs. And the packaging is super fun, it's inspired by the 70s, so lots of fun colors and patterns. And the wine itself comes from all sustainably farmed vineyards, so no synthetic pesticides. And then when it goes into the winery, they're not adding any nasties as well. And yeah, packaging itself. So three liters is equivalent to four bottles that gets saved from landfill, a thirty-liter keg is forty bottles that get saved from landfill. It's so much lighter weight, so when we ship wine over, to give you an idea, one pallet of bottles is about one point three tons, something like that. And then if I just do the excuse me the boxes, it's the nine hundred, and I get to bring in double the amount of wine. So, you get your economies of scale and it's fun. People are enjoying it. It's liquid on lips as well. So, once you
0: do the sampling, people are, yeah, they're sold. And do you find that the younger generation are really open to seeing an alternative packaging like a can because of their concerns around the environment? I
2: think that's one factor. Convenience also plays a huge factor as well. So, the cans are great for beach going into the movie theater, going down for a picnic. Yeah, and same with the boxes. If you're doing a barbecue or anything like that, or if you want a glass midweek, but you don't want to open a full bottle because then you feel guilty about not drinking it, you can do that as well. So there's, it's convenience plus environmental benefits. I think for the individual consumer, yes, you can talk about the environmental benefits on a commercial level, like when I'm selling to trade, the environmental thing is so secondary. Mm -hmm. Um, They're much more concerned about profit margins and, you know, how can we monetize on this? Mm. Whereas the, yeah, sustainability is value-add.
0: It's so interesting, isn't it? I think another vendor here at boutiques is selling food in, um, in cans, a premium food in cans. And, like, I'm naturally attracted to it because I know... Packaging and plastic is such a huge problem. But it's interesting that it is secondary for the consumer and and really it is the product, number one, and how it tastes. It is still always going to be the number one driver, but very interesting. Lizzie, I wanted to ask you, what was the hardest thing about pivoting? I'm not sure which which pivot
1: you want to talk about. So many pivots. I think for me the hardest thing... The pivot to my own product was actually a a real learning curve for me because I'd never sold my own product. So that was tough from kind of a, how do I actually do this? You know, how do, apart from putting it on Instagram and putting it online, how do I get into retailers? You know, how do I get people interested in your product? Because I've always been on the kind of, the service end, where i 'm producing the designs for people, and i 've never had to market those designs or like where they actually go from when I give them that 's always given to a marketing person or someone like that, so actually that was a really steep learning curve for me to being like i 've created something beautiful, but no one can see it because i don 't know how to get it out there so that 's where you know actually creating meeting people networking, doing things such as launchpad is so important because. Then you meet people who know about marketing. You meet other entrepreneurs who've done it themselves. And actually, that's how I learned to kind of get myself out there. And I'm still learning every day because it's not natural to me. And actually, I'm such a perfectionist. You know, I care about every single detail down to like the packaging. I originally wanted all of my prints. were. I didn't want any plastic, which obviously when you have paper in the tropics... <laughs> Cool. Um, So all of my prints were in black envelopes with this beautiful embossed label and they looked stunning, but no one could see them. So you put them in a retailer and people were like, miss them. So that was a big kind of learning for me that actually sometimes the product has to kind of be visible and the perfection can't actually work because people need to be able to see the product and actually buy the product. So that's a real learning for me as well.
0: Mm, So interesting, isn't it? You can't really learn that from anything but real life failure yeah yeah.
1: a lot of failure and then you learn
0: yeah I suppose failure is probably not the right word because every time something doesn't
1: work it's just a learning right yeah for sure I mean I learned so much all the time and I'm still learning every I put a post up the other day of my kind of this is my fourth I think boutiques but you know all from every single pop-up I've done something's been different I'm taking away I'm adding and every single time I think it just gets better and better and you're learning all the time and you you meet people you learn from them. And I think it's, that's how we all grow. Yeah. I love that. Jen,
0: I wanted to ask you, when do you know it's time to pivot? Let's see. Well, the first time
2: kind of a bit easy, COVID kind of just forced me to do that. But the kind of shift we're going through right now is really just assessing the market and what's going on, you know, specifically to to F&B and I guess wine. People aren't going out as much. It's really expensive in Singapore, as we all know. So when they do go out, it's more of an occasion, but they still want to drink, so they got to go to a retailer or online retailer. So we've solely been focused on the B2B side, but there's a huge opportunity in B2C. So doing things like boutiques and getting in front of a lot of
0: potential B2C customers and just kind of seeing where it, where it goes from there. Yeah, it's a, it's a real challenge, isn't it? I think it's a bit of a leap into the unknown. Yep. <laughs> yeah. you like, I hope this works. <laughs> But um, I think what I'm hearing is actually keeping your ear to the ground and having great relationships in the industry and leaning on those relationships and using it as a knowledge source is, is kind of key to help you, I suppose, reduce the risks of taking a leap.
2: Yeah. And I think it is a lot of test and learn. It doesn't matter what kind of business you have. Like you're kind of, we're all just throwing stuff at a wall, seeing what sticks, figuring out and then trying to maximize that. So, it is a lot of experimentation, but just putting yourself out there, hey, this is what I'm thinking, can I get your advice on it, whether they're in the industry or not. Yeah, and trying to
0: validate the ideas that way. And Lizzie, maybe I can ask you, what advice you'd give to entrepreneurs that are thinking about pivoting but are unsure?
1: Like, what would you say to them? I think, for me, the main thing is is that you don't have to please everybody. You know, I think when you have a product, you love it, and that's why you want to delve into the unknown in the first place. And not everyone is gonna like your product, and everyone will have feedback, everyone will have an opinion. And I think for me, you know, I, my whole brand is monochrome and minimalist, and, you know, I'm surrounded by color the whole time, and everyone's like, haha, Lizzie, you know, monochrome Lizzie. But I have found <laughs> my, my tribe, and I think when you find the people that love your product, they'd love that product. So by trying to please everybody, you actually please no one. Whereas actually, if you keep to your kind of true core aesthetic and try not to get... I think the the problem with pivoting is it can be tempting Mm -hmm. because you could just flow to here and then to here and and then you just get lost and overwhelmed. So actually, if you stay true to your product, you find your tribe. And if no one likes you, you just go, "They're they're not my people. And then you find your people and they stick with you, they grow with you, they support you, and they are your tribe. So I just say, try not to please everybody. Just stick to your guns, create your kind of your soul product, and it will work. If you are passionate about it, your passion will show through and it will be good.
0: I love that. I love that. It's calling in a lot of bravery, right?
1: Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's so easy to kind of get waylaid and everybody, like I said, everybody is going to have an opinion or some feedback. And from your family, your friends, to like the randomer in the street who's like, I only like color. I'm like, cool, you know, oh, nice to meet you. <laughs> I guess you don't want to go on the mailing list. That's fine. Um, so, you know, you can't please everybody, but actually you got to just stick to your guns. If you're going to do this, if you're going to be an entrepreneur, you just got to go for it. And there's going to be crap times. <laughs> but then when the good times are good and you find your people... It's so good and it's so worth it.
0: What about you, Jen? What do you think your advice would be to someone who's thinking about changing up their business? A bit of the same,
2: really. Talk to people about what direction you're thinking about going in, getting advice, finding a a tribe. or different mentors in different sectors. So this year, what I've tried to do is surround myself with more launchpad people in different industries that I wouldn't normally align myself with. And then getting some peers as well that are in a related industry because they just relate a bit more, they understand it a bit more. So yeah, rely on the people around you to really help you make that shift, but follow your gut and your intuition as well. It's so important. And definitely don't try to please everyone. So yeah,
0: yeah, I think it's very interesting and reflecting on it, both of you, have really leaned strongly into a niche you know you've actually carved out I'm not for everyone but I'm for the person who will love my product will absolutely love it so I think that is a brave move and a bold move but you both are having success I just wonder if you've ever dipped your toe into something that didn't work and have you ever had to reverse pivot out of something
1: So, um, last year, I created the most beautiful product I've ever created, I think. It was this letter-pressed calendar. So, all of the uh, dates were letter-pressed. It was blind embossed. It came with a beautiful brass stand. It was in this black blah, 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 blah. It was amazing. And I think I sold, like, 50. I had to produce 300 to make the cost worthwhile. And I was so proud, but it just... I, well, first of all, I was late because doing everything yourself, you can never hit your deadlines. I should have probably had it out at the beginning of September. I had it out at the end of October. So then I had two months to sell a whole heap of calendars. And I was so proud of it. And it just completely bombed. But I think it's one of those things that actually, A, it made me realize you've got to get your act together. <laughs> because if you're doing something like a calendar, which is time-related, you've got to be on it. And second of all... You've got to get those things sometimes out of your system. It's something that i always wanted to create. And I don't think it's dead. Like, I think I've learned so much from doing it. I've had people now this year being like, where's the calendar? I really, like, I want that calendar. I was like, too late, buddies.
0: <laughs> you
1: yeah. 50 last yeah. year, so you're out. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I have 250 for 2023. You want them? <laughs> um, but otherwise, you know, it's just about learning. And actually, I think next year I will do a calendar, but I'll be on time. It might be slightly different, you know. But sometimes it bombs and you could love the product and just for whatever reason, it doesn't work. But I think just, again, I learned so much from doing that. So every single failure is still genuinely a learning.
2: So ours is obviously wine. Like there's some brands where I'm like, it's going to kill it in Singapore. It's so good. And I ordered way too much of it. And people hate it. And it's, it's not necessarily, like, the wine itself. It's more the branding. Yeah. And so it's like, okay, that's the the magic sauce, I think. It's good juice plus good branding is what people want. So you, you iterate, and then you just the next time, order less. Definitely order less. But, yeah, you, you learn for sure. So I've done that a few times now where I just think the product's going to kill it, and people just don't resonate with it, and you move forward. So...
0: That's so interesting about the branding letting it down. I didn't realise that. I suppose everyone thinks they're a wine connoisseur and they like their wine, but it's interesting when you're a wine retailer that you can see actually that that branding actually has such a big impact on yeah. whether people will buy it. And it's obviously, it's not just the burning. It
2: is a combination. Like, what's inside the bottle absolutely matters. But fortunately, we work with really good winemakers who are so open to feedback and want to know this stuff and have offered to, like, all right, well, what works in Asia? Like, should we create something bespoke? So working with partners who get it and are open-minded
0: is really helpful as well. Mm, Very cool. I wanted to ask you both, it's such a journey, starting your own business and doing a few pivots along the way. But I'd like to ask you, what are you most proud of? I'm actually most
1: proud of being different. So for me, like I am different and I'm kind of, I'll go to a trade fair and I'll be like the only minimalist. Everybody else is like more and more and it's very maximalist and lots of block prints and lots of colors and that's beautiful and I love that as well but I'm really proud of being different because you know I've had people today that just come and just like they're like oh my gosh the calm and I think for me that's when I'm really proud because it is hard being the black sheep or the monochrome sheep <laughs> because you know you do feel different and you get a lot of feedback and you get a lot of oh really and it takes a while to find your tribe so actually it's hard and so every time I do find my person who's kind of really passionate about something that I'm passionate about I'm even prouder because I know that, you know, it's been hard to do that and you have to just back yourself. So I'm really proud of being different. Love that.
2: I will latch on to that a little bit with the alternative packaging. Um, To my knowledge, I'm the only supplier in Singapore doing something like that. So it can feel really scary and lonely at times. And getting the unsolicited feedback can be really tough. Like, why are you doing this? No one else is doing it. Like, nobody's going to buy that. No one's going to do that. But I think because we we believe in it and it's a long game and getting in early and kind of solidifying ourselves is like we're the first ones to do this because we believe it. So it's, it's hard kind of staying the course, but I'm, I'm proud that we've we've stuck it with it and are going to be bringing on more brands that do alternative packaging. So, yeah, being different for sure. And just learning along the way, like being agile and just being able to shift and
0: change. Yeah, I'd like to add I think you're both very resilient and I I think that's something you might not see, but I can see it from here. The resilience muscle is the big one I see from both of you and lots of entrepreneurs in that you do get the unsolicited feedback or the knockbacks or the wrong turns or the wrong shipments and you do have to just pick yourself up when the calendar doesn't sell and, and, you know, put it down to experience and kind of, you know, shake it off and move on. But it is... A real lovely attribute I can see with both of you.
1: So well done. Does anyone have
0: any questions?
1: Thank you very much. You mentioned a few times about finding your tribe. So my question actually to both of you, how do you find your tribe? How do you know what is yours and what is not? (laughs) Launchpad!
2: Perfect plug. Well, yeah, obviously the launch pad. Um, But also looking on LinkedIn, who's in your industry, anybody that you admire, send them a message, be vulnerable, put yourself out there. People are really friendly and kind for the most part. And then also adjacent industries. I think you can get a lot of knowledge from adjacent industries as well. So same thing. If you see networking events that are going on, just go. Put yourself out there. It's a bit scary, but it is rewarding and you will get connections out of it that are willing to help you.
1: Yeah, I uh, agree with that, definitely. But also I found a lot of my tribe through Instagram actually. So my aesthetic is obviously very clear to myself and I think that attracts your tribe. So like I said, if you are true to yourself, it does attract your tribe. And so I've had lots of people just slide into my DMs (laughs) and just be like, I love it. And then you start kind of conversations and some of my best friends now I actually have met through Instagram and now we've then we've met up on trade shows and everything like that. So actually, if, you've, like if you're true to yourself and you keep on putting stuff out there, people naturally gravitate towards you. It's like when you go into a room and you actually like, I know I'm going to be friends with that person before you've even spoken to them. You know, it's that kind of, we're all humans and that connectivity is actually what drives us. So I think naturally you do find your tribes. As soon as you start putting yourself out there, your tribe will come. So quick question again to both of you as well. Unfortunately, life
0: is not like that. But if you had the choice between a straight, linear, entrepreneurial journey where everything just flows and you never have to change, or the ups and downs and the pivoting left and right, would you want to go for the, the constant pivoting and adjusting, or would you just be like, no, I'm going to stick to this and never change again, if you had that choice?
2: I think when we all get started, you kind of think it's going to go like that. And then you learn very quickly it's not going to. But there's so much value in those ups and downs. And even when you're in it, it might feel like shit. And you're like, oh, God, why am I doing this? But you will come out the other side and you're stronger, smarter, smarter faster, more, more agile and resilient. It really builds the resiliency and you back yourself more. Your, your passion for what you're doing grows. So no, I, I definitely wouldn't choose the, the linear. I'm
1: here for it all.
2: <laughs>
1: yeah, I agree. I mean, the linear would be great, but I don't know any entrepreneur who's ever had that. I completely agree with Jen. It's like that. I never started an art business and now i can't think of Ha- doing a business that doesn't include any sort of illustration so I would have never had the confidence to be like you know here am I this is my artwork but actually that's how it's happened and that's what's kind of gaining the momentum so I think the pivots produce the best outcome anyway so I'm sure that you know because you guys have already been in the corporate world before and then you've been through like the stress levels and all the changes and is it that's, that's like exactly why you could do your own startup with managing on especially you know like you said that covid had this like global shutdown, right? Yeah. So, apart from doing a business one time, like family, handling everything, like a mom pruner, right, like you, entrepreneur and a mom pruner, like, do you have any other advice for the young people here? Like, if they're going to start up, and then, if they're going through the ups and downs, how are they going to face it with better resilience and strength? And also, please share your Instagram. <laughs> so, I hear you. There's a lot going on, especially kind of female entrepreneurs. You have often have kids and you're trying to manage a lot of things as well. So the resilience, what I would say is try things first. So I would say, you know, if you are in the corporate world, dip your toe, you know, do the weekend work, you know, go to a couple of events on the side around your job, maybe take a couple of days off to try and test the water before you kind of make that leap if you're that way inclined. Because I think you will get confidence by going to the events. You will, by putting yourself out there, which is the hardest thing... You will get that confidence from talking to people. You'll then find friends who you go to another trade show and you might know one person and then you know two people and then you, from then and then you'll have the confidence and you'll also know what sells. You'll get the feedback from your customers. You'll see naturally what is selling and what isn't selling. You can lean more into that and then you'll have the confidence to make that leap and if you are in the corporate world, quit it <laughs> and join us on the entrepreneur world. <laughs> but yeah, I would say just put yourself out there. But if you want to do it, you can do it slowly. yeah pretty much agree with
2: with all of that yeah dip your toe see if that's what you want to do also and I I haven't done this uh, but maybe look for a partner as well because you're sharing the load you can lean on each other and that's one of the things that I actually think about often now as we get bigger and as we grow and as my son gets bigger and needs more of my time so I think looking for sharing the load is, is also an important one. Hi. With the team of
1: pivoting, maybe not on a large scale of the business, but like, I mean, as entrepreneurs, as people who are perfectionists, you're always looking to improve, to do better in whether it's product or in any area of your business. But when do you know when to stop or like not do it, you know?
2: Right. <laughs> yeah, That right. is a great question. Um, you fight yourself internally a lot, but then you do start to realize like what's worth being a perfectionist about and for and what you can actually let go of that doesn't even matter. It only matters to you in your own head. It doesn't matter to anyone else. It doesn't have an impact on the business. So you do learn over time what's worth being really anal about. And if it has a commercial impact, then, you know, you're going to hang on to that even more. So it's just time and experience, I think.
1: Yeah. And I think you also like my husband is the opposite of me he's very much like just get it done put it out there and I think some things I listen to him and some things I don't you know the people who surround you and who support you in your business as well I think are very important and that really really helps you so when you start you'll have your friends who will all support you and then you'll naturally have people but you learn who to listen to And I think, like you said, just trust your instincts. My natural instinct is to kind of sweat every single detail. And I have learned that actually I don't have time to sweat every single detail. If I did that, the calendar is two months late and no one buys it. So you learn through mistakes as well. And you know, like you said, when to sweat the small stuff and when not to.
0: I think that advice of listening to your gut is great advice, but also... Can be quite challenging. Like your gut can tell you so many things. So I'm just going to add, journaling is a really great way. Like writing things down. I'm a big fan of a pros and cons list. Like what does it look like this way? What does it look like that way? And and also I have another technique I love, which is to make the decision and then like sleep on it after you've made the decision, and you'll know it's right. Okay, like. I recently made a big decision and it was the first time I had a full night's sleep in weeks and I went, well, that was the right decision. <laughs> but, yeah, so they're two techniques that I use because it's one of the hardest things about being solo entrepreneur is solo, right? You don't have a board of directors. Often you don't have a partner. But, yeah, making the decisions is, is a really hard bit of the journey. But, yeah. Wow. We're all, we're all good. Yay. We're ready to go. <laughs> We've got it. Thank you so much, Lizzie and Jen. It's been an absolute delight and I'm like a proud mum. I'm so proud of you guys. So well done and um, I appreciate you giving up your time today to, to share about your journey. Thank you. So what a wonderful chat that was with Lizzie and Jen. I have a couple of key takeaways. One is whilst pivoting is a completely overused word thanks to the pandemic, It is actually an important part of entrepreneurship and especially when you're starting out, I think you have to really be comfortable to adapt and constantly evolve and change to market conditions. The other big takeaway is you really need to be resilient and you need to have the ability to learn from failures and not let them get to you, but just see them as stepping stones to the right solution. And then finally, I think you can really test ideas on a small scale before fully committing to pivoting. And that does reduce risks. So I hope you found this valuable. I do think communities are a great way to help you pivot. So if you are looking to experiment with a new idea or you wanna test the market, if you are a member of Launchpad or some other kind of community where you can ask for feedback, it's actually just a perfect testing ground to help you make changes in your business and successfully pivot. Thanks so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did. If you found this episode helpful or enlightening or engaging or educational, I would just love, love, love for you to leave a review, give us a rating or share it on your socials and tag us. We'd love to know you're listening and that you're getting value. Finally, if you're interested to learn more about Launchpad and join a community of conscious entrepreneurs that are purpose-led and super supportive, come and check us out. You can go to www.thelaunchpad.group. Thanks again for tuning in to Good Business. My name's Chris Edwards, and I hope that you're as inspired as I am to start or grow your own good business.